Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. With that, we're in Ezekiel tonight for our message. This is a standalone message. It's not part of uh, any particular thing. It's just something that's in my heart. I want to share it with you. Um, it, may, it may bear some, um, some application to the theme that we're going into, hearing God's voice, just because that's what's really been in my, my heart lately and where I've been at in the Word. Um, but I think that God will speak to us tonight through, through uh, what we have here. And so uh, if you could turn you to chapter 3, verse 17, I'll just have one verse to kind of set up uh, our theme and our topic tonight, what we're looking at. So if you look with me at Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17... Um, God is the speaker. He's talking to the man, the prophet Ezekiel. And he says this. He says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. This is the first half of the verse. If I could read it again. He said, Son of man, I have made you. Could you all say with me? He made me. Look at your neighbor said he made me. I'm not like you. I don't look like you, I don't act like you, I don't do what you do. He made me. (laughs) God said to Ezekiel, I have made you. If you had asked me growing up um, if I ever thought that I would be a pastor, what I probably would have said to you is, I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up, but I can guarantee you that I won't ever be a pastor. And the reason I would have said that to you is, first of all, because I had a natural aversion to religious things. Um, But secondly, because in my mind, even beyond that, there seemed to be such a, a great chasm between people that God uses in that way, uh, people that God chooses and, and that God speaks through, there's, there seems to be such a chasm between those people and the rest of common humanity. And it just seemed like such a big, big bridge to gap. But then I became a Christian at the age of 19. And even at the time, once I was born again, and I, I learned that we have a relationship with God, even after that, I still felt like there was this, this separation. You know, there's the people that God talks to. There's the people that God uses. There's people that, God, that, that really know God. But then there's kind of the rest of of Christendom. You know, there's kind of the common stock Christians. And the mentality that I had was really that, you know, when we read the Bible and we read about the people in the Bible, the Ezekiels and the Isaiahs and the Pauls and the Peters, that really what those are is that those are trophies. And that the Bible is kind of a trophy case and it tells us kind of what these guys got to do or what these guys attained unto but that that's not really something that is for everyone. That's just for a few. And, and they kind of got chosen and they revealed truth. And so they were trophies and they gave us truths. But what I realized after walking with the Lord for a time is that God didn't put these people and these stories and these testimonies in the Bible as trophies to be admired. But rather, he put them as templates for us to build expectation in our lives, to reveal what God wants us to do and what's possible for every Christian to have in a relationship with God. 
See, the one mindset, the mindset that they're, they're over there in their trophies, that mindset, you know, makes me a spectator. I'm watching what the people that really know God are doing, and maybe I get to glean a little bit of that. But the other makes me a participant. When I realize that God puts these testimonies in the Bible as an example for you and I, as something to build hope into our lives, as something to show us what he wants to do and where we can be, how we can know him, then it changes everything. It makes these testimonies hopeful. It gives me expectation. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about this man, Ezekiel, and this element of his life, the story of his calling, really. And Ezekiel is not a trophy. He's not someone that has something that no one else can have, but rather he's an example. And God wants to do the same things in the life of everyone he calls, everyone who has put their faith in him through the person of his son Jesus can have what Ezekiel had. Now, it probably won't be in the same way because you're not Ezekiel. It probably won't be look exactly like what God did with him and it won't bear the same marks because his calling is no doubt different than your calling and my calling. But the things that God did in calling Ezekiel are held up here so that we would have expectation that God can do and wants to do in our lives the same thing in calling us. Now, the interesting thing about the call of Ezekiel is that there is more text scripturally given to his calling than any other person in the entire Bible. There's more text given to his calling even than Moses. And Moses had a lot with the whole burning bush and the throwing down of the staff and, you know, all that kind of thing. But God gives us Ezekiel's thing and he tells us specific things about his calling that God, I believe, wants to do in our lives as well. I have observed, as you probably have too, that there are, there are probably three crucial times or I would say awakening moments that happen over the lifespan uh, of an individual, of a human being. The, the first happens probably in the late teens or the early 20s. When, when a, a person is coming of age, they're moving into adulthood and they realize that they have to do something with their life, that they can't just keep gleaning off of what they received from their parents for all these years and that they have to make choices. And the crisis comes because they realize how many choices there are and how little time there is to make decisions. And so there's kind of like this feeling of, what am I supposed to do? The second time, the second crucial point or awakening usually happens around middle age, which is why it's kind of called a midlife crisis. Maybe you've heard about it. And that happens when the early adult years have passed away completely And an adult who's now established and moving through life realizes how fast time has gone by and they kind of wake up at a point and they say, what am I doing with my life? Am I doing what I was made to do? Is this really what it is? And you realize time is not moving slower. Time is going by faster. And what am I doing? That's a crucial moment. The third happens sometime in the golden years or when it's all kind of said and done and over. When an adult will look over their life and they'll see it clearly in hindsight. And so they'll see where they came from. They'll see what they moved through. And then they'll kind of realize where they are. And they'll ask the question, what did I do? Who did I become? What kind of an impact or mark did I make? 
What does my family look like? What's the legacy that I'm going to leave behind? And what I have found and what I've observed and what I've felt in my own spirit and my own life is, is that the one factor that makes those times of life either pleasant or painful is whether or not I have clarity concerning God's call upon my life. See, if I'm clear that I know I'm doing what God made me to do, that I'm operating in the spectrum of his calling over my life, then those times are easy for me, and I pass through them with ease and with peace. But if at any point I question and I say, I'm not sure if I'm doing what God made me for, I'm not sure if I've become the person that God wants me to be. Then those times can fill me with anxiety and worry and stress, you know, and, and, and trouble. I can be troubled because I don't know. And so what I want to share with you in the scriptures tonight is an experience that Ezekiel had with God, that you and I can have with God, that will set all of that at ease that will bring you to the place where you can confidently say and know, I am where I'm supposed to be, I'm who I'm supposed to be, and I know who has made me. And so we look at these first three chapters. We're not going to read them because it's way too much text to try to read through and expound upon in the time that we have together. But I'd like to summarize for you what took place when God called Ezekiel and showed to you the ingredients that God put into this call that we can expect God to do. Now, I realize that callings and moments where God comes and reveals something to you and I vary drastically. So there's times when God communicates and brings a calling through a dream. He did that with Joseph. There's times where God makes a supernatural manifestation. He did that with Moses. There's times where there's a word that's given from a person and, and, and God uses that or, or there's a visitation from an angel. There are times when it's just something that's impressed upon the heart. There are times like with Hannah that you read about in 1 Samuel where God used the conditions that were going on in her life to bring her to a frame of mind where she surrendered something that was important to her to God, and that became the linchpin that became the calling that God had for her future. And so there are so many different ways that God does this, and it will look differently for each of us, but God will put in these things that we need so that we can be certain that we are doing what it is that he has called us to do. The, the testimony begins at the very beginning of the book by Ezekiel just simply giving to us the time that it took place and the historical conditions that were going on around the time. He tells us that he was about 30 years old and that it was during the summer of the time that he was 30 years old and it was five years after there had been a major shift in his life and in his people's life, a major crisis, if you would. See, they had been invaded their land of Israel, and all of the people had been taken as prisoner slaves, prisoners of war, to the land of Babylon or Assyria, some to different places at a different time. And it was because of their rebellion against God, God brought judgment upon their land, and Ezekiel was one of those that was displaced. And that was what was going on in the time when God met with Ezekiel. 
We're also told that Ezekiel was by the river of Chebar, which is in the province of the Chaldeans or in, in the area somewhere of Babylon. And that tells us something because when a Jew was in a place where there was no synagogue, what they would do is they would gather by a river. And so what we see is that Ezekiel, even though there was a crisis going on in his personal life, and even though he was in a place of imprisonment, he was still in a mindset where he wanted to seek God, that he wanted to know God's will for his life. And so that's where he was. He was by this river, and he tells us that what happened to him happened on a specific day. And then he describes the vision. And it really encompasses the entirety of the rest of chapter 1. And it's one of the most wildly, explicitly graphic visions of heavenly things that is given in the entire Bible. He says that he saw the heavens opened and he saw a cloud that was engulfed with fire that was coming towards him and enfolding itself as it came. That's an amazing picture. You can almost see the vividness of it, of this fire just approaching you and like barreling towards you as it comes. And then out of the midst of that flame, he saw four living creatures. And those four living creatures or beings, each of them had four faces that were like men. They were shaped like humans, like human men. They had hands and they had feet, but they, each of them had four wings, and the tips of their wings were all connected to one another. It says that their movement was like the movement of lightning, that they had halos that were full of eyes, very great. And he describes that they had wheels. He saw wheels that were touching down on earth, and that were moving in correspondence with the movement of the angels above. And so as these creatures would move, the wheels that he saw on the earth, they would move. They didn't turn, he describes that, but they would move. And when they would go, the wheels would go. When they would move, the wheels would retract. And when the angels would go up, the wheels would go up. And so he saw this amazing connection between these angels and between the wheels, the effect of what they were doing and what it had on earth underneath them. Then it says that he looked up and above the angels, he saw the glory of the Lord. He saw some premonition or countenance that he knew was of the likeness of the glory of God, symbolically showing that God was the one who was over these beings and that he was the one that was ordaining what was happening in front of him right now that he was seeing. And then he says that when he saw it, he fell on his face and he worshiped. Now, the first two things that happened in the call of Ezekiel that I want to draw to your attention is, first of all, that it happened at a very specific time. That God made this happen, and Ezekiel's able to say it was in the fifth day of the 30th year of my life in the fourth month, which would be the equivalent of our July. And so he knew the exact day and the exact time that it happened. And that was a very important thing for him, and believe me, it's a very important thing for us to be able to look at a specific time when God did something in our lives to reveal what it is that he has for us. Now, the reason why it was so important for him to have that, to have that specific time that was there, was because what God was going to ask him to do was not going to be easy. And there would be many times along the way that he would probably ask himself, does God really want me to do this? 
Is this really what he's called me to do? Do I really have to endure the difficulty of all this? And being able to say that there was a specific time and an event that took place, he would know with assurance that that was God's will for his life. And it was very, very important for him. It also, for me, triggers a lot of hope that he was able to look at what God did and describe it so vividly. Because it was very unexpected and it was very unlikely that God would do this in his life in the season that he was in. Remember, they were in judgment. They were in prison, in a sense. They were prisoners of war. And you would almost think that they were in a place where God wouldn't want to talk to them. God would have nothing to do with them. They, they had rebelled against him. Why would he want to interact with an individual that's in a place where God is judging? And that gives me hope to realize that, you know, you can be in a place where you think God isn't going to talk to me after, after what I've done, after where I am because of the result of my past. God's not going to do anything in my life. Well, Ezekiel says, no, I was in a place where we were captives because of our sin, and yet God cared enough about me and even about the people around me that he was still willing to reveal himself very specifically in my life. It's also important, and it's foundational. Now, why did Ezekiel get this vision? Because I can tell you I've never met somebody. Actually, that's not true. I've met very few people that have had, vision, have had visions this vivid. And I've never had one myself. I've never seen, you know, the creatures with the wings and the faces and the fire and all, all that kind of thing. God knows that I don't need that right now in this season of my ministry in order to fulfill my course. But Ezekiel did, and here's why. Because his specific calling was going to require him to understand clearly the connection that exists between the kingdom that's above and the kingdoms that are below. He needed to understand, like Jesus taught us to pray. Remember when he said, when you pray, say, thy will be done on as it is in. And Jesus drew that line for us. Jacob saw it. Remember the ladder? He saw a ladder that extended from heaven to earth and the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And so there's this connection that exists between heaven and earth. And Ezekiel needed to understand that all of the things that were happening in the realm of men were the byproduct of things that God was orchestrating in his throne room in heaven. And for the sake of fulfilling his ministry, he needed to know that, which is why God gave him this vision. And so there was a specific time and there was a specific vision, something that he saw that made him to understand what he needed to know for his calling. Well, he moves on from there, and he gets into chapter 2, and the next thing is what he heard. And if you would look at me, just at the first verse of chapter 2, it says that he said unto me, he said, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak to you. And the Spirit entered into me when he spoke unto me, and set me upon my feet that I heard him that spoke unto me. And I want you to mark that in your Bible, or at least in your mind, that Ezekiel was able to testify concerning his calling that he heard from God. It wasn't just an event that happened at a specific time, but there was a voice and God spoke to him. And here's what he said in verse 3. He said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me, they and their fathers have transgressed or sinned against me even unto this very day. 
And so God speaks to Ezekiel, and what he does here is he gives him one half of the calling. Now, I want you to picture the calling that Ezekiel has as a path. God is marking out a path for him that he's going to walk on with his life. And what he does right now is he gives him one half of the boundary or the border on one side. And what that boundary is, is who he is sent to. He is sent to the children of Israel that are in captivity, those that have rebelled against God. They are the ones that God wants to use Ezekiel to speak to and to reach. And he gives them this instruction. Then he goes on in the verses that follow to tell him three times not to be afraid. He says these people are stubborn. These people are stiff-necked. These people resist every bit of truth that is ever given to them, and they are going to make your life miserable. God tells him that right at the outset. Isn't that encouraging? And he says, but I don't want you to be afraid of them. I don't want your eyes to be on them. I don't want you to look at the face that they make at you, and I don't want you to listen to the words that they speak unto you. Don't be afraid and don't be surprised by the resistance that comes because of what you are speaking to them. And so he's told now what he's to do. So, so far, he has a specific time. He saw something, and then he hears the call of God. Now, I love what happens next for Ezekiel, because what God does next is so good. He not only tells him what to do, but now he tells him how to do it. That's the fourth thing, if you're taking notes. He tells Ezekiel how he's to do it, and I love it. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, but you, son of man, hear what I say unto you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And so I looked, he said, and behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, chapter 3, verse 1, he said unto me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this roll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that roll. Now, this is all spiritual. You understand that, right? God is not advocating the eating of paper. It's symbolic. We'll talk about it in a second. And he said unto me, Son of man, verse 3, cause your belly to eat and fill your bowels, that's King James for your heart, with this roll that I give you. Then did I eat, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And then he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee to the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. Now, I love this passage of Scripture. It's so helpful for me. Because essentially what God is doing is he's telling Ezekiel how he's to go about doing what God asked him to do. Now, how many of you have ever sensed that you maybe know what God is asking you to do, but you have no idea how it's to be done or how you're supposed to do it? And this encourages me because it tells me that God is willing not just to tell me what to do, but he's able to communicate to me how it's to be done. Now, for Ezekiel, I love it. And I believe there's some overflow that kind of applies universally in what God asked Ezekiel to do here. The roll or the scroll that Ezekiel is commanded to eat is representative of God's words. God says that. He says, these are the words that I'm, I'm speaking. And so he's to take the written word, 
the scroll of what is written, and he's to eat it, and it's to have four places. Listen carefully. Four places the word is to go in Ezekiel. The first is his mouth. And Ezekiel says, I ate it, and it was sweetness in my mouth. Now, how many of you, I know I can say for me, have read God's word or heard God's word, and there's a sweetness to it when you hear it? Because you know that you're hearing truth, you know that it's pure, you know that it comes from another world, there's something spiritual and supernatural about it, and you hear God's truths, you hear his testimonies, and there's something that happens, and it's like that same feeling you get when you just take like a glob of honey, and just without the, t- the tooth hurt, you know, when you just, mm, you know, and, you, and there's that charge, you know, and there's something that happens when the word goes into the mouth that you're like, yes, the sweetness of God's word. But the second place that the word is to go, and God tells him this, he says, fill your belly with it. Not just your mouth, but it's got to get down on the inside. And this is where things really get lively. Because you know what happens when the word passes the palate and it gets down into the belly? It begins to mix together with everything that's already on the inside. Okay, so spiritually speaking... Symbolically speaking, what is he talking about? He's talking about when it gets in your belly, it's mixing with everything that you've experienced in your life up to the time that the word gets in you. So your background in history, where you came from, the culture that you lived in, your education, your ideals, your morals... The things that are a part of your life that you do both good and bad. The things that have made your personality what it is. All of those things are in you already. And now the word is brought in. And here's the amazing thing about the word. Is that the word of God is living and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God carries more authority than anything else that can exist. And so when the word goes into a life and gets into the belly, it's kind of like parents coming home in the middle of a party that they didn't sanction. You know the record scratch? Everybody's dancing, everyone's having a good time, and now the parents come home and the higher authority walks in the room. And all of a sudden it's, and the guy gets off the keg, you know, and, and all of a sudden there's like this sobriety that happens because authority just came into the house. And so when the word of God gets into the belly, all of a sudden, every part of the life is brought into the light and it's evaluated by the authority of the word. And so that means that when the word gets into the belly, change starts to happen because some things have to die. Other things need to be adjusted. Other things need to be removed from my life because they don't stand. They don't mix well with the word. That's going to cause a big bellyache. I'm going to be sick all the time if I keep that in my life. There's other things that aren't going to be removed, but they're going to be completed and perfected because some of the things in us have been placed there by God and he doesn't want to root those things out. He wants to sanctify and perfect and complete those things so that our personality changes to be alive in tandem with who God is, who he made us to be. And so when the word gets in, all of a sudden change starts to happen in the life. This is what we're talking about when we talk about being sanctified. When we talk about being redeemed. When we talk about being changed and transformed. When we sing about being resurrected. 
What we're talking about is the work that God does in us when he brings all things that we are into subjection to his word. And he doesn't erase our personality. He completes our personality and he makes all things new. And then the third place that God says that the word is supposed to go is beyond the belly and it's to get into the bowels or the heart is what that means. And what the heart is, it's the deepest center of who you are. It defines everything that is in and that comes out of your life. It's the essence of who you are. And what God is saying is that I want my word to change and complete you, and then I want that to get into the very fiber of your being and your personality in tandem with my spirit and values is going to be now the driver of everything that comes out of your life. It's going to affect all of who you are, which brings it to the fourth place that the word is to go, and that is back into the mouth. This is a great illustration, isn't it? (laughs) It comes back into the mouth, and now when the word comes out of the mouth, It's not simply being quoted and read off the scroll. It's been moved through the life of the man. It's joined in tandem with his personality. And it becomes a powerful living anointed word that is spoken and that has effect upon people. One of the things that I wish someone had told me when I first started teaching the Bible that it took me too long to learn. That now I'm able, thankfully, to communicate with my son. My 15-year-old son is just now beginning to have opportunities to teach and to share, share the word. And he preached his first message a couple of weeks ago to the youth group here. And he didn't know I did it, but I snuck into the hallway and I listened to it because I, I had to hear my son's first sermon, you know, and, and, he, and he taught the word. And so we were talking about preparation and, and teaching. And, and I said this to him. I said, listen, Rocky, this is something that I wish someone had told me at the very beginning. And that's this, is that your personality is a critical component in how God is going to use you to speak forth his truth. And don't divorce your personality from what God wants to do through your life. That means if you're funny, be funny. If you have a sense of humor, then bring your sense of humor into your messages. If you're creative, then bring your creativity into your message. Don't think that, no, I'm defiling the message because I'm bringing elements of who I am. No, that's exactly what God wants. Because if God wanted, he could have had one of the angels preach the message to the Jews. If God wanted, he could have stood like he did on Mount Sinai and he could have just told the people himself, but he didn't do that. He said, Ezekiel, here's what I want. I want a man affected by my word, filled with my spirit, speaking with authority, so that they see you and hear me. That's what I want from your life. And so what that means for you and I is that as we go to God and we say, God, what are you calling me to do? What is it that you want from my life? What are you making me for? We also pray, God, how do I do it? Now, I'll give you a clue. It's going to possess somewhat those same ingredients. God is going to say, hey, take the scroll And let who I am become part of who you are. Now, how that applies to what you do may be very different. You may be a software developer, or you may be an author, or a songwriter, or you might be a teacher, or you might be a mother, or you might be a wife of a difficult husband. Whatever it is, somehow God is going to affect that, and he wants to work in your life. And you are entitled to come to him and say, God, this is what you've called me, now teach me how to do it. That's what God does for Ezekiel. He tells him, this is what you're to do. 
Now, he gives them the next component, which is the other side of the path. Remember the one side of the path? This is who you're to go to. He gives them the other side of the path in verse 5 of chapter 3. Notice what it says. He says, For you are not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. The other side of the path is who you're not called to go and speak to. And here's why. He says, not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, that would be the foreigners, the Assyrians, the Chaldeans. Why? Whose speech you can't understand? Here's why. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, for they will not listen to me, for all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Now, why was this critical that God tell Ezekiel who he was not supposed to talk to? I'll tell you why. Because human nature is to take the path of least resistance, right? If I have unsuccess talking to you, and I have good success talking to another group of people, who do you think I'm going to say, I think God is calling me to speak? I want to talk to the people that are going to listen to what I have to say. And here's the point, here's the principle, and this is why it's important for you and I to know what it is that God has called us to do and to know what God has not called us to do. Here it is. Listen carefully. Because success is not a symbol of being in the will of God. And success does not satisfy if it's not in the will of God. Do you understand that? See, Ezekiel would have been called successful if he started preaching to the Babylonians. Because the crowds of people and people getting saved, it would have been massive. And everyone would have looked on and said, wow, look at the prophet. Look at what he's done. He saved all of Babylon. Whoa. Problem is that isn't what God called Ezekiel to do. His calling was to talk to the stiff-necked, stubborn children of Israel that were going to make his life miserable. And here's what I've discovered. And it's a secret that you can take with you as well. Is that satisfaction and peace come when I'm in the will of God, not necessarily when I'm being successful. Because success outside of God's will feels extremely empty. I don't know if you know somebody who's extremely successful and yet also extremely empty. They have everything that they ever wanted, but they don't have the sense that they're in the place that God made them for. They're not doing what they were made to do. And all of what they can possess, achieve, or obtain isn't enough to satisfy them because we weren't made to be successful in the eyes of people. We were made to do what God made us to do. And when we're there, that's when we're peaceful. See, why is it that Jacob, when he came back after 20 years of getting wealthy, he had more stuff and substance and sheep and servants. He was able to give a good portion of it to his brother and not even feel it. He had so much but yet he spent all night wrestling with God and saying, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. We would look at Jacob and say, whoa, bro, you ever heard of a little gratitude? (laughs) You know, I mean, I ain't got what you got. Don't you think you should be? Why was he at such, ah, you know why? Because for all that he had, he didn't have the sense that he was in the will of God. That's what he wanted. That's what he craved. That's what you crave. That's what I crave. Because God didn't make us to be successful in the eyes of people. He made us for a purpose. And until we find that purpose, we wrestle, we grope. Why is it that Jesus, hungry, famished, 
sitting on a well in Samaria, his disciples went to buy food because they needed. And when they came back and they said, has he eaten? Why is he talking to that chick? This is a little shady. You know, this isn't supposed to be. And they said, hey, have you eaten anything? You know, maybe you're a little hang senile or something. What's going on? And Jesus looked at them and he said, you guys don't get it. He said, I have food that you know not of. And then he said, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And I am so satisfied being in the place that he made me to be that I don't need any external thing to add to that or make it better because it can't be made better. See, you can have everything and yet have nothing. And you can have nothing and yet have everything. And it all has to do with being in the will of God. And so it was important that God tell Ezekiel, listen, I am not sending you to the people that are going to receive what you have to say gladly. And you need to know that because that's part of my plan for your life. He goes on and he tells him the next part of it in chapter 3, verse 10. He says this. He says, moreover, he said unto me, son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. Now, there's a difference between what God is saying to Ezekiel now and what God said to Ezekiel a moment ago when he talked about the scroll being eaten. The scroll was the written word, the logos. It would be like the Bible for you and me. But the word that God is talking about in verse 10 is not the written word that Ezekiel would read day by day and eat and digest. This word is the voice of God that's leading him moment by moment. And here's what God is communicating to Ezekiel that he also communicates to us is this, is that you cannot operate in your calling without a moment by moment dependence and relationship with me. You must be in tune with my leading. I am not calling you to simply hear what I have for you and then run and I'll see you in heaven. But if you want to be successful in what I've given you, you're going to have to be in communion with me. Now, we're going to come back to this verse sometime in the next six weeks because if you notice the order of what God says to him there, he says, receive your word, my words in your heart and then hear them with your ears. That's backwards, isn't it? Don't we usually hear words in our ears and then kind of perceive them in our heart? Not with God. It's the opposite. It works the other way around. But God is saying to Ezekiel here is that I've got something for you day by day. And then I want to speak to you. You've got to listen. You're not going to be able to function independent of me. Well, the, the, the text goes on. Ezekiel has this amazing vision. There's this interaction with God. And then what he says is he says that I was astonished for seven days. I sat by the river. Everybody was looking at me like, what is, what is this guy going through? Is he crazy? I couldn't speak. Nothing happened. Seven days I was crazy. And then he says in verse 17... And it's the verse that we started with, chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord spoke to him again, and he said, Son of man, and here's the pinnacle. He said, I have made you a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word of my mouth and give them warning from me. Is that on the other side of hearing this call and then receiving God's word and allowing it to change him on the inside... And then agreeing to go and saying, yes, Lord, here I am. God now looks at Ezekiel on this and he tells him, he gives him the four most comforting words that God can ever speak over a life. He says, I have made you. And then he tells him what that is. He says, you're a watchman. 
There are no more comfortable words or comforting words that a person can hear as to hear God tell them what they were made. There is nothing greater that you can experience in your life for you to have God personally come to you and tell you what he has made you. Because when you know what God made you, you can never have a a crisis of identity or a crisis of purpose because you know what it is that he has made you to do. Now, in light of all of this, I want you to think about everything that God gave Ezekiel. He gave him a specific time. There was a specific event. There was a specific call, a word of instruction that he was given. There was a specific way of how he was to go about fulfilling it. There was further instruction of what he was not supposed to do. And then there was the declaration over his life that he would walk with God in the process and that God made him to be. There were seven ingredients in this calling. And you think, wow, that's amazing that Ezekiel was given that level of clarity concerning what God has for his life. Now, again, I say this to you, and if you tune me out, please tune me back in. Is that the same thing that God did for Ezekiel, he is willing to do for you and for me. It doesn't mean a vision. It doesn't mean maybe all that that, that he saw. But God is willing, in a moment, or through a process that he knows and that we'll understand, to give to us a very clear call and understanding of what it is that he's asking us to do, the reason that we exist, what we were made for. He is willing to impart to us the instruction and impart to us the tools and equipping that we need to know how to do what he's asked us to do. And he's given us the promise that he'll walk with us and help us along the way through the process. And he's willing to reveal to us exactly what it is that he's made us. And I want to share with you a few passages in the New Testament so that you can know in your heart that this promise is for you. The first is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul the Apostle wrote, and this, this is broad brush. This applies to anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ. He says that we are his workmanship. That means that we're his work. We're in his hand. That we've been created in Christ Jesus, created by God in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained or planned that we should walk in them. Now, what that means is that God has a specific purpose that he has mapped out for every one of us. He's already ordained it. He already knows what it is that he has for your life that it's preset there, and that he wants us to walk in them. That it isn't something that he's saying, well, I hope they walk in them, or maybe they'll walk in them. But he says that we should walk in them. Another verse is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Notice what Peter writes to us, inspired by the Spirit of God. He says, wherefore the rather brethren, that's all of us, that's brethren and sistren. He says, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. And then for if you do these things and things that that he had listed before, you can read the chapter and find out what they are. It helps. But God wouldn't tell us that we're to make our calling and our election sure if it was impossible for us to know what it is. He wants us to come to that place where we know that we know that we're in the place that we're in the center of his will in every stage of our life. The third passage is Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Listen to the prayer that Paul prayed over the church that was in Colossae. It's a prayer that's prayed over you and I because it's in the Bible. And it's a prayer that we can be certain it's the will of God because it's in the Bible. Notice what he says. He says, For this cause also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Did you hear that? 
He says that I want you to understand that you can be filled with the knowledge of his will. You can know what God wills for your life. He goes on to say that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Meaning that along the way, as you walk in his will, God's going to make your life effective. You're going to be fruitful. And that along the way, you're going to know God personally more and more. You're going to grow in that. He goes on to say, strengthened with all might. Anybody here tonight need strength? Anybody here tonight find that's the heart cry of your life more and more often? Lord, I need more strength. He wants to give strength. He says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father. And here's the capstone. Listen. He says, which has made us. He has made us meet. That's King James means qualified. Anybody in here feel unqualified? Anybody in here feel disqualified? Anyone feel like God is far from you and that God won't do for you things that he might do for someone else? I want you to know tonight that the Bible says that because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because of your faith in him through the name that he's given you, he calls you qualified. And he says that he has made us qualified for what? To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. What is the inheritance of the saints in light? It's to be in relationship with God where he communicates to you what his will is for your life. And then he strengthens you and leads you and teaches you in fulfilling that calling. And along the way, you grow in your relationship with him. That's what we're entitled to. And then the final verse I want to share with you is in John chapter 15, verse 5. It's that famous passage where Jesus talked about the vine and the branches. And he said this. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him. That is, we live and walk in dependent relationship, communication, fellowship with him, communion with him. He that abides in me and I in him, listen, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Here's the message that I believe God put on my heart to share with you here tonight. It's, cap, it's, it's encapsulated in a verse. It's Psalm 100, verse 3. And it says this. It says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And here's the message. The message is this, is that God made you, and he knows what he made you. He knows what he made you for. He knows where you're going to be effective and where you're going to thrive. He knows where you're going to feel at peace being in the plan of what he's called you for. And he knows where you're not going to do it. He knows what you need in order to fulfill that calling. And he knows how to impart to you those things and what they are. And he knows that ultimately you need to be in fellowship with him. And he is willing to give that to you for yourself. What an amazing thing to realize that God is able to reveal with specificity the time, the vision, the hearing, the call, the how, and to tell us what he has made us. And no matter what context he has called you into, and no matter where you are in your life, this promise is for you. You need to hear it from God, not from a man, not from a career counselor, not from a therapist, not from a loving spouse, not from a pastor, not from anyone else. You need to and you can hear it from God. 
That's where the peace comes. And you can do it. Now, final thoughts. I want you to understand this as we close. Is that this is not automatic. It isn't just because you're a Christian that automatically you're going to have an experience where you hear from God what it is that he has for your life. Understand that Ezekiel, even in the place where he was, that he was seeking after the heart of God. He was in a place, though he was in captivity, though his whole life had been turned upside down, though everything had become unstable and he felt like he was under the judgment of God, he was still seeking God and asking him and saying, God, in this moment of my life where I am today, I need to hear from you. I need to know that I'm in your will and in your plan. I want your will for my life. And he was in that place where he was seeking him. And understand this, that God's plan for you will not be revealed, nor will it unfold, independent of a close walk with him. Because we cannot thrive or function outside of it. That's why Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. There is nothing greater than to know that you're living out what it is that you were made to do. When you allow God to shape your heart and speak into your life and reveal and lead and tell you what it is that he made you, that's where you find that place. So you, you ask the question and, and you say, well, okay, I, I, I confess I'm not 100% sure that I'm in the plan of God, that I'm in the place that I'm supposed to be. I'm not certain of that. What do I do? Do I go hang out by a river? I mean, is that, do we just do what Ezekiel did or, 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 or the spiritual equivalent? Should I just get into church? Is that, is that the answer? I was reading in, in my one-year Bible this week, I was reading Joshua chapter 18. And, and the, I believe the answer is there. Because what happened in Joshua 18 is that Joshua had, had, with the people, they had conquered the entire land, this promised land. It represents the promises of God. They had conquered the whole land. It was already theirs. But there were seven of the 12 tribes that had yet to receive what it was that God had for them. And so they had fought all these battles and they had obtained all these promises, but, but none of them had been applied. None of them had been imparted. They were just kind of living, but they weren't living out what God made them for. They were just there. And so Joshua, who represents Jesus, called these seven disinherited tribes and he said to them, he said, listen, why aren't you guys possessing? Why aren't you living? Why aren't you where you're supposed to be? And they said, well, we don't know where we're supposed to be. And so here's what Joshua told them to do. He said, I want you to go through the land and I want you to make a list of everything that you see out there in the land and I want you to, to describe it per perfectly and then bring that list and that description back to me. I'll bring it before God and he will reveal where the borders of the lands are supposed to be. And when I read that, I said, God, that's perfect. That's exactly how it works. See, you're in a place and you say, yeah, I, I see all these promises. I read it. I, I know I'm supposed to hear his voice. He wants to tell me his will, but I don't feel like he is. I'm kind of lost out here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Here's what you do. Make a list. Sit down before the Lord and say, God, this is who I am. This is my personality. This is my background. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. This is what scares the daylights out of me. Just, you just, Lord, this is what I am. Warts and all. And then you say, Lord, here. I'm bringing it to the greater than Joshua. And I'm saying, God, I want to know what you made me. God, I want to know what you have for me. What is my life supposed to be? Here's what I say to you, 
in closing, this really is the last thing I'm going to say. If you're here and you're a young person, do it now. Don't wait. Don't say, well, I'm not mature enough. Don't say, well, I, 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 I don't know or I have to have an education or it'll unfold in time or I need pastoral counsel. No. You go to God right now. You go to God and you say, God, what did you make my life for? What have you sown in my heart? What are the contents of what you've placed in here? What are the seeds that you've buried inside when you made me that you want to bring to life through your word and that you want to bring into tandem with yourself and that you want to cause my life to be effective? Where do you want me to be? You go to God and you ask him that. And you do it now. And you'll never have a crisis. You're here, maybe you're middle-aged and you're in that place where there is a midlife crisis. You're going, I don't know then do it now. That's where Ezekiel was. He was in the middle. He, he'd had a train wreck. And God met him there at that point. Maybe you're here and you're old. And you say, my goodness, I'm looking back over the spectrum and I'm not sure. I don't know. Was I in God? Did I do what he wanted me to do? Or did I just kind of, what, what? I don't know. Listen, here's what I say to you. Do it now. Go to God and say, God, my heart is still beating. My lungs are still pumping. What do you have for me now? What did you make me for? And Ann Jacobson is sitting here tonight. She's in the back. Her grandfather started two churches after the age of 70. And one of them, I think I'm getting this right, one of them grew to over 700 people. Listen, it ain't too late. <laughs> you know, <laughs> If you're still living, you can still move in the plan of God. And so my exhortation to you tonight, my message to you tonight is this. He made you. He alone knows what he made you. And you're not going to figure it out by accident. And he wants to reveal himself. And he wants to reveal you. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this amazing testimony. Thank you for what you did for Ezekiel. And and thank you for what you're willing to do for us. And Lord, we present ourselves to you tonight. We ask you, Lord, we ask you collectively as individuals that you would please reveal to us what you have. What did you make? What are we for? Why are we here? What is the path, the right hand and the left? God, would you reveal yourself personally? Would you cause us to hear your voice? Would you increase our sensitivity? Would you give us an understanding and awareness? Would you set our lives in the right place? Would you give us a hunger for your word? Would you let its authority come into our lives and make every other part of us bow down? Would you, Lord, get into the very essence of our being in our heart? And would you draw out of us what it's for? Lord, we come tonight with surrendered hands. We come tonight with bended knee. And we come tonight asking you, God, that you would be God in our life. What did you make us? Would you reveal it, Lord? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.